Hello, my name is Sundeva Folgenhuskar and I am the president of SAI, the Norwegian Students and Academics International Assistance Fund. We are a solidarity organization for students and academics and we work to ensure academic freedom and equal access to higher education globally. We are both a policy and advocacy organization, but we also have development cooperation projects in Latin America, Southern Africa and Asia. Today, I'm going to talk to you a bit about our newest campaign, Can You Hear Me Now?, and the sort of political background to that and what we're trying to achieve. So in SAI, our motto is Education for Liberation, and this is inspired by the Brazilian pedagogist Paulo Freire. And in that sort of motto, the point is that if you give people access to knowledge and the tools for critical thinking, they will also understand the unfair structures around them and then move to change them. So through education, you actually get um, enlightened to the situation around you and you start actually dismantling unjust structures. Uh, and that's sort of the role that students take in many societies all over the world today. So I'm going to explain to you a bit what this year's campaign is about, uh, and that is students as democracy and human rights defenders. I'm going to talk a bit about why it It's important with exactly students. Why is that an important group to focus on? I'm going to try to explain what a human rights defender actually is. And then I'll try to sum up um, on sort of why this is important and also a bit on how you can contribute. Throughout history, we have many examples of brave students who have changed their societies. Many of them achieved success, others bloodbaths, but all of them achieved some form of impact on society. So the students, for example, who initiated the demonstrations on the Tiananmen Square in China in 1989, they definitely did not achieve success, but they did turn the whole world's eyes towards China and managed to unmask a regime that was um, sort of not being seen as what it really was abroad. Today, those same Chinese authorities are oppressing students in mainland China, but also in Hong Kong. An example is Joshua Wong, who many have now maybe heard about. He started an organization when he was only 14, uh, trying to engage all of Hong Kong against China's changes to uh, the curriculum and their changes to sort of to make an all-China curriculum so that Hong Kong would not have their own curriculum. That protest started in with something that was very sort of oriented towards his schooling, and it erupted into nationwide protests in Hong Kong with thousands, hundreds of thousands uh, turning up in the streets. And those protests have continued. And that's a thing you often see with student protests. They start as a protest towards small things, normally education related, but they very quickly develop to big uh, sort of societal demonstrations where you sort of you see regime changes and you see huge changes in society. Uh, and that's because students are relentless. They don't give up. Uh, and they have sort of they have this ability to start the ball rolling. Another example of this is the students in South Africa. The students in South Africa are in many ways uh, said to have been the start of the end of apartheid. Uh, and especially one of the things that you think of is the Soweto uprising uh, in uh, 1976. So that was originally a protest against the fact that they had turned the exams and uh, the sort of teaching language in the uh, black schools to Afrikaans, which was the language of the white minority. Uh, 
which the black students, of course, didn't speak and which for them was the language of uh, the oppressor. So what started with uh, a protest towards language in school grew and became a huge protest against the apartheid regime in which sort of the apartheid regime never recovered. And many of us remember, of course, these pictures of a young man carrying the 13-year-old Hector Peterson who had been shot by police uh, for demonstrating against the apartheid regime. And that protest was also, uh, in essence, a very sort of classic student protest. There were loads of students, unarmed, unorganized, and uh, sort of completely peaceful. They were walking hand in hand towards the stadium, and they were met by police, bullets, uh, and arrests. And you've seen that throughout history in many countries. And, I mean, you have some protests that sort of go better, where there is not that much violence, but where you still manage to see students changing the world. So the 1968 Paris rebellions is, it, for us now, it's just the absolute sort of idea of what is a student rebellion. But if you think back on it, and if you look at sort of the history of the rebellion and, and what actually changed, you'll see that sort of many European countries, and, and France especially, was a lot more rigid. There were very sort of, and uh, there was very little space for political debate, and there was absolutely no space for youth to participate in political debate. And these student rebellions in 1968, which spread throughout Europe and also the world, managed to actually change that and has sort of paved the way for a lot of this youth engagement and the ability to for youth to sort of actually speak their mind today. Um, so that did also change a lot, uh, even though fortunately it wasn't as violent. So, so these are sort of some of the big student demonstrations that we all remember, that we all know about. Um, and sort of among these and in all years, you had different student rebellions in, in different countries. And just in the last sort of 10 years, you've seen huge student demonstrations in South Africa with the Feast Must Fall movement. You've seen in Hong Kong, you've had students in Nicaragua, Turkey, Algeria, Sudan, all the students who participated in the Arab Spring. Uh, and as we're speaking right now, or as I'm speaking right now, you have student demonstrations happening again in Turkey, in Myanmar, in Zimbabwe, and in many other countries. So even though they don't all make history, students have always and will always continue to protest inequality, injustice, uh, and again, language in school, which might turn out to topple a regime someday. The one thing that I want to make you aware of is that demonstrating as a student activist in many parts of the world is not the same as appearing in front of the parliament in Norway with a placard. So one of the reasons why we in SAI want to sort of have the spotlight on students as human rights defenders and the role they play as activists is exactly because they face a lot of serious repercussions for their activities and they're also facing an increased level of criminalization. So students in many countries, uh, if you protest, you have to be prepared to be tear-gassed, to meet rubber bullets, batons, um, water cannons, uh, and you must also be ready to face long-term consequences such as arrests and um, court processes, but also expulsion um, and sort of other repercussions in your university. It is generally in many parts of the world not risk-free uh, to sort of claim your rights. Uh, and these sort of repercussions come from many parts of society. 
Uh, in many countries, it comes from the state and the state apparatus, so the police and different sort of factions of the military. In other countries, it comes from uh, non-state actors and different sort of um, violent groups or other sort of NGOs. It can be from, from all sorts of um, actors. And in many countries, it also comes from within the university itself. Uh, so universities should be places of free speech and, and free discussion and also enshrined in academic freedom. You have this right to protest your own institution and to uh, be part of changing uh, your own institution. But actually universities themselves are also part of um, curbing student activism, both in terms of the rules they uh, put on students and how they can organize, uh, where where they can meet, what they can do, but also in terms of sort of security, personnel, um, enforcing sort of non, uh, non-protest rules and so on. Uh, and also then sort of repercussions for the individual students in terms of grades, but also um, sort of ex- um, expulsions and these kinds of things. So the university is also party to this in many states. Now, that's a bit about student activists. So what makes them human rights defenders? Uh, and I'm for this sort of spe- little talk, just assuming that you know what the human rights are. If you don't, uh, you should Google the 1948 Human Rights Declaration as a starting point and then go from there. Um, so the human rights are universal. They should be, uh, everyone should be able to enjoy them and um All states have sort of an obligation to ensure that human rights are being respected in their countries. Now, that doesn't happen uh, everywhere, as we know. uh, And there's been a lot of uh, work globally, internationally, locally, uh, to try to ensure that human rights are being upheld. Uh, In sort of an international context, in 1998, they had this first resolution on what is called human rights defenders. Now, that is a term that describes a person uh, who individually or with others act to promote or protect human rights in a peaceful manner. So human rights defenders are identified above all by sort of what they do. So anyone can be a human rights defender. But to be one, you have to act to address any human right on behalf of individuals or groups. So Human rights defenders seek the promotion and protection of civil and political rights, as well as the promotion, protection and realization of economic, social and cultural rights. So that means that if you are protesting the fees at your university to make sure that higher education is available on sort of an equal manner to all, which is enshrined in the human rights, then you are a human rights defender, even if you do this in Norway. So, for example... I am a human rights defender in most of the things I do at SAI. So anyone can be a human rights defender. But normally we don't talk about me and my daily job as a human rights defender. And part of that is because the sort of central part or the central um, use of this resolution on human rights defender is that they are to be protected. So it's not, I mean, anyone can be a human rights defender, but not anyone actually gets to be because the point is that you should be protected by your state. So states are obliged to protect people defending human rights, Uh, which I mean might sound a bit strange considering that in many countries it's actually the state that is hindering 
uh, both sort of the fulfillment of human rights, but also the defense of human rights. But that is the point. It's not um, this declaration or resolution is not a legally binding instrument, but it has sort of grown in importance and many sort of states uh, have considered adopting it into national legislation and it's sort of considered in the um, international forums as something that's close to sort of binding. So other states uh, in bilateral re- relations, for example, um, take it as granted that other states sort of try to defend human rights defenders. Now, one example of what a human rights defender is and when their rights is not sort of protected is actually myself again. So as I said, I am a human rights defender here in Norway almost every day, but that's not that interesting because I can do whatever I like here. So the state actually kind of protects me. I have the police that ensures that I'm allowed to demonstrate and I have free speech and everything's basically fine if I want to defend my human rights or anyone else's human rights here. But once I was in Morocco um, as part of a side delegation trying to create awareness around the situation for Western Sahara. Now, when I did that, Uh, Morocco took my passport and sent me on a bus and sort of denied me entry to Western Sahara. And because I was part of a big delegation and that delegation had um, sort of one human rights lawyer uh, associated with it, uh, they took that breach of my protection from Morocco and all the other activists and sent a complaint to the UN because Morocco did not defend my role as a human rights defender. So that's an example of what it means. It means that you should be defended by the state to um, sort of defend other people's or your own human rights. Now, that's uh, what's not happening to students globally. So students in many countries, when they're protesting, they are being human rights defenders and the states are not um, sort of, they're not protecting their right and they're not protecting them. Now, how do we address this? What can you actually do to protect human rights defenders when the state isn't able to do it itself? Uh, because in the ideal world, you would sort of, you would say, hi, my role as a human rights defender is not uh, being sort of fulfilled. Um, please, the state, can you sort of not behave this way? Can you make sure that I can protest safely? Uh, and a lot of people do this all the time. They protest their right to protest. Uh, which in itself should be unnecessary. Fortunately, there are a lot of international mechanisms that sort of try to step in or that you can use if states themselves are not uh, fulfilling their obligation. One is that you actually have a special representative for human rights defenders in the UN system. So that's the, that's the person that got my complaint of Morocco's treatment of me and my fellow activists. Uh, and they get individual cases of human rights violations and can take that up sort of on a bilateral or not a bilateral, but take it up with the state. So that's one way to both create awareness uh, and also um, sort of, um, what can I say? You can create awareness, but you can also show that you've actually tried to make your state accountable. Uh, Often that doesn't really make any big changes, but it's important in itself. And it's also a way to make other states aware. One other very smart way to make other states aware of the situation for human rights in a country, and especially the situation for human rights defenders, is the universal periodic review process in the Human Rights Council of the UN. Here, each state is supposed to uh, come once in a while to talk about the status of human rights in their country. Now, 
As you may imagine, countries that breach human rights normally don't speak too much about that. However, in the Universal Periodic Review, you also have reports from civil society and from different actors. You also get non-state information as to the situation for human rights and also other countries get to actually step in and ask questions and hold countries responsible for their human rights work. So this is one arena where you can actually showcase the situation for human rights. Then you have the UN and resolutions. Here in Norway has been very active, for example, in sort of trying to promote human rights defenders and the different ways they are being criminalized and um, sort of attacked by states. Uh, there is different um, resolutions on, for example, women as human rights defenders and environmental activists as human rights defenders. And it's sort of an area of work within the UN that's getting a lot of attention. Then, of course, there is all these organizations, finance mechanism, protection mechanisms that exists uh, in the sort of global NGO and sort of state um, apparatus. And here there are some ways to protect human rights defenders. There's some sort of um, funds for lawyers and these kinds of things. Uh, however, many of these require that you actually have an international network and understand this whole international infrastructure that exists around human rights, and that is extremely complex. So today, the only sort of known and uh, functioning protection mechanism for students is the Norwegian Students at Risk program that I was part of initiating. Um, and then, of course, you have states pressuring other states, so bilateral uh, work. Now, these are, as you can hear, none of these are easy solutions. None of these are things that sort of work instantly. Uh, and all of these things are uh, sort of very time consuming and it requires that you have both time, resources and understanding and also sort of an organizational capacity to follow up most of these um, sort of different mechanisms and organizations. The Your average sort of student activist and your average student movement uh, doesn't have that. Uh, and that is one of the reasons that we are focusing on this in the campaign because we want these organizations themselves to actually pay attention to students and actually focus on students because students themselves cannot actually have the capacity to use them, use these mechanisms um, without sort of actually being reached out to. So students play this immensely important role globally in sort of uh, both showcasing human rights violations, but also a sort of moving society forward. But they are under pressure. So I talked about earlier that we're seeing criminalization of student activism. This is increasing. Um, so, and we also have this very good report uh, on the matter if you want to read sort of, if you want to study further on the issue of criminalization. Uh, Sai together with the Latin American Campaign for Education, CLADE, released a report on criminalization in uh, Latin America on student activists. But what we are seeing is that uh, sort of you have the normal human rights violations, you have sort of, you're being beaten or you're being um, killed or you're being sort of harassed. But then you also have the use of legislation, arrests and sort of um, procedures that make it sort of more long-term uh, difficult to be a student activist. So we see, for example, an increased use of terrorist legislation in order to put uh, students in jail, to keep them from demonstrating, in to sort of to keep 
to keep them silent, basically. So a lot of states are using sort of legal instruments to curb student activism, uh, which is in, were sort of very, very difficult for student movements to deal with because you need an organizational capacity, you need lawyers, uh, and you also need to sort of actually be able to bear that personal risk of being put in jail for weeks, months, uh, and not knowing when you're going to come out. Uh, so that is uh, one trend that is very scary for student activists, and that could also sort of lead to loads of students not daring to raise their voice and then sort of very important voices basically being silenced. We also want to sort of focus uh, on students as human rights defenders because they get quite little attention and sort of access to these protection mechanisms today. Uh, when you sort of hear a human rights defender, your first idea might be sort of I, I normally think of a journalist, uh, and journalists are really important, and they have international um, protection mechanisms. Now, students themselves are not globally organized. They don't have the resources or organizational capacity to use international networks, and so they are not able to internationally advocate for themselves. Uh, we also know that reporting on attacks on students is scarce. There is some reporting by scholars at risk, which shows an increase, an increase in attacks on student expression. But the only thing we know for certain about attacks on student activism is that we don't know. So we only know the tip of the iceberg. SAI uh, has also launched uh, and is developing our own reporting mechanism, the Student Rights Monitor, which you can find at studentrightsmonitor.org, where we also hope to make it possible for student activists on the ground to report incidents, because we know that so much that is happening to student activists is not sort of reaching the media, it's not reaching uh, the international society, it's not reaching these sort of report mechanisms on human rights. And that means that the problem is not sort of, it's not viewed uh, properly by the, for example, ministries of foreign affairs around the world. So we fear that we have a huge risk today to lose many important voices, many important student activists, if this continues without students getting access to better support without students getting more signs of solidarity and support internationally. So sort of that's what uh, we're talking about here. We're talking about the most important change agents almost in any country uh, and to make sure that they actually have the ability to keep doing what they're doing. So what we in SAI want to achieve, um, that might be very difficult to grasp from this little talk here. Uh, and that's because this is an immensely complex matter. And you might be thinking, but everyone agrees about human rights. And that's true. When we talk to political parties, everyone agrees. Everyone agrees that, yes, this is important. Mm -hmm. We should support students. But what this is about is who gets attention, who is on the radar, and who is prioritized. And today, students are not on very many embassies' radar. It's, it's not on very, very many politicians' radar. And that's what we want to change. So we want students to be a priority, for example, for the Norwegian embassies when they monitor human rights uh, in the country where they are. We want, it to be a, we want students to be a priority at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and we want it to be a priority also in Norway's work in the UN and different international organizations. There are plenty of ways that we can do that. But the main sort of thing that we need is a momentum. We need politicians to understand how important students are. And we need politicians and sort of diplomats to actually want to focus on students. 
So that's why we're having this campaign. That's why I'm talking to you about human rights defenders. And that's why I also hope you want to engage to make sure that student activists all over the world get the attention that they deserve and also get the protection that they deserve. So if you want to become part of the campaign and support site, you can find more information on our website and also on our social media profiles. So I hope you also want to join in to make sure that we actually have student demonstrations and rebellions to talk about also in the coming decades. Thank you.